how do we improve our daily lifestyle in a way that's going to help initiate more fat loss on a day-to-day basis welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple if you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting then you're in the right place Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Something I wanted to talk about today, I was reading something from someone I really respect in the industry. He works with a, a top of the top athletes and Navy SEALs and high level entrepreneurs and all of these people that are always trying to, to quote unquote, optimize their health and their lifestyle and their nutrition and their sleep and like, you know, biohack all this shit. and. One of the things he was saying is there's really not much of a difference between them and the average Jane and Joe, you or me, that's probably listening to this is we all want to optimize to some degree, but, but shifting the way that we think about optimization from what more do I need to do to how do I do less dumb shit? Basically is what he was saying at the end of the day is what differentiates all of these high level elite performers in whatever capacity that is from the average Jane and Joe. It's not that they're necessarily doing that many different things. Perhaps all of our nutrition ends up being pretty good. Yes, we all train intensely in the gym. We try and optimize sleep and so on and so forth. It's just, they end up doing less dumb stuff that really can become a differentiator. So there's a few things that I'm gonna share with you today that I perceive to be uh, big needle movers that aren't really like these amazing biohacks. It's really just how can we do more smart stuff more frequently and less dumb stuff. And so these all we certainly consider fat loss strategies. And these fat loss strategies are all revolving around basically trying to help our body become a fat burning machine. And, and I'm going to use that terminology very loosely because our, our body's always burning fat to some degree and really has so much to do about um, kind of what level of physical activity we're in, what intensity of physical activity we're in. But just at rest is we're burning fat as fuel, which I think most people don't realize. They think we have to be like exerting ourselves to any to, to some significant degree to be burning fat. But the reality is like, at rest, we're burning a decent amount of body fat. And so it begs the question of how do we improve our daily lifestyle in a way that's going to help initiate more fat loss on a day-to-day basis, right? How do we help our body become a better fat-burning machine? Well, a lot of it has to do with optimizing our metabolism, if you will. And, And a lot of what I've talked about is our metabolism an amazing capacity for our body to maintain homeostasis right if our if our blood sugar goes up right if we just ate a starbucks lemon cake or a cake pop or drink a frappuccino or something like that our body's going to shuttle a a bunch of insulin into the bloodstream to drive those sugars into the cell and try and utilize them for fuel 
If we miss a meal and our blood sugar is starting to drop, our body's gonna push a bunch of cortisol out. Cortisol is a stress hormone that's a glucocorticosteroid, which inadvertently elevates blood sugar levels so that we can fuel our muscles and our cells and tissue for energy, right? And so it has all of these amazing capabilities. One of the ways that we should be thinking about fat loss is by supporting our body's natural metabolic processes, right? Is how do we get our hormones to function as effectively as possible? And the very best way that we can do that is by doing things that are gonna help us maintain stable blood sugar levels. Now, one of the things that we know about longevity long-term for cultures that have the uh, most centenarians, the blue zones around the, the world, the people that live the longest is invariably, um, they're physically active, they don't overeat, they drink a little bit of alcohol, they have a strong sense of community, but within all of that is they do a really good job maintaining their blood sugar levels. And a lot of this has to do with their meals and meal times. And I'm gonna share three strategies around how to basically optimize their metabolism or build a better fat burning machine. The first strategy is how to structure our meals in a way that's gonna support blood sugar. And very simply, what we should be doing is eating three to four meals per day with anywhere from three to five hours in between. And now I know that might seem counterproductive or counterintuitive to a lot of you. You might think that, you know, you've heard all of these things about intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding or, you know, only drinking coffee and butter for, for your meal one or not eating your first meal until afternoon. But the reality is for most of us, we are dealing with blood sugar instability constantly throughout the day. By virtue of the foods that we are eating, the sugars that we're drinking and or not eating and drinking, right? So if we're dealing with this blood sugar dysregulation on a daily basis, meal in and meal out, then it's perfectly reasonable to assume that we're also dealing with massive blood sugar fluctuations and uh, massive hormonal dysregulation. And when our hormones are dysregulated, when our body's constantly elevating cortisol to drive up blood sugar levels or driving up insulin to drive down blood sugar levels, then we're in a constant state of stress and we are not going to be a very efficient fat burning machine. So this is not sexy, but for so many of us, simply eating three square meals without snacking in between in and of itself is a very, very potent fat loss strategy. If we already aren't eating healthy food, if we already aren't eating enough protein at each of our meals, then we have no business turning to these advanced fat loss strategies around intermittent fasting, around time-restricted feeding, around, frankly, ketogenic dieting, around you name it. Instead, it's like, why can't we just commit to being consistent with three square meals, again, without snacking in between? And there's plenty of research to show why snacking in between meals is problematic. Of most importance is really just we end up eating too many calories. And so with that said is 
we need to start to learn how to build a perfect plate from meal to meal. Now, those three meals could be split up kind of any way that you want, but it could be 8 a.m. and noon and 5 p.m., or it could be 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., but what we do know is we probably want them consistent in routine on a day-to-day -day basis with certain amount of macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fats at each of those meals, some balance of protein, carbs, and fats. And so one of the things we talk about with clients is how to build the perfect plate. And we just give some, some very loose diagrams or strategies around how to build this plate out. And just imagine a plate. And if you were to cut the plate in half or just draw an imaginary line down the middle. Half of that plate would be vegetables. We've got nutrient density, we've got high fiber, we've got very satiating foods, we've got relatively low calorie load. Now, if we were to take the other half of the plate and we just split that half in two, so we have a quarter, one quarter of that plate should be a lean protein source. You name it, chicken, fish, steak, pork, elk, bison, shrimp, whatever, seafood, right? Like you name it. Well, then we've got a good chunk of high quality uh, bioavailable protein that's going to help with blood sugar regulation and satiety and cellular integrity and muscles and, and tendinous structures and, and brain function and neurotransmitters and on and on and on. And then the other quarter of the plate could be some sort of starchy carbohydrate. It could be a higher starch veggie like a squash, or it could be a potato, it could be rice, it could be bread. But if more people were able to simply focus on building out a perfect plate multiple times per day and doing less of the things that cause these massive levels of dysregulation in the body by virtue of eating and drinking too much sugar, skipping meals, only drinking coffee and not eating real food in the morning and generally just sticking to the standard American diet of freaking cereal and juice first thing in the morning, well, we would be a lot better off right? We'd have much better blood sugar regulation. Therefore, we'd be functioning more effectively and optimally from a hormonal standpoint. And we'd be a lot better likely to one, manage our calorie intake. And two, we'd be a lot more likely to manage the hormones that help us burn body fat on a daily basis, which all comes back to helping our body become a better fat burning machine. That's strategy number one is building out your perfect plate three to four meals per day with four to five hours, basically in between each of those meals. Now, strategy number two, again, remember that the theme here is optimizing our metabolism and helping build a better fat burning machine by virtue of doing less dumb stuff. One of the dumb things that we typically do, and I'm just as guilty as the rest of us, is over consuming caffeine on a daily basis. And the reason this is problematic is because for one is all of us metabolize caffeine very differently. So, so there's kind of three levels of caffeine sensitivity. There's caffeine hypersensitivity. If this is you, you're the type of person to drink a cup of coffee, feel like you're getting heart palpitations, get jittery, get anxious, and feel like you get insomnia, you can't go to sleep, right? You know who you are. If this is you, you probably tend to stay away from caffeine for those very reasons. Then there's most of us which fall into this level of normal caffeine sensitivity. Um, and, and for the average person, this ends up being somewhere around 200 to 400 milligrams of caffeine per day. No trouble sleeping if consumed early enough in the day, but you know full well if and when you overdo it 
on the caffeine. And then of course, there's someone who's caffeine uh, hyposensitive. We all know the person who can drink a cup of coffee or espresso like right before bed and still be able to go to sleep. No problem because they metabolize caffeine so effectively. It just doesn't seem to um, make that big of an impact on them. And that's about 10% of the population. The majority of us fall into the normal caffeine sensitivity. And then there's probably another small percentage of the population that would be considered caffeine hyper hypersensitive and needs to really just stay away from it. The reason this is problematic is because so many people are over consuming caffeine so late in the day. And caffeine has a half-life of at least eight hours, depending on what we're drinking, how much we're drinking. And what we're seeing is it's becoming easier and easier to take in more and more caffeine. For example, if we look at, at like a venti Starbucks drink, a venti Starbucks is around 400 milligrams of caffeine. Now that might not mean anything to you, but let me just tell you that 400 milligrams of caffeine is equivalent to two five-hour energy shots it's equivalent to five Red Bulls. So again, if you, if you drink one venti Starbucks coffee, which I feel like is not that unreasonable, it's the equivalent of five Red Bulls, eight, eight Mountain Dews, uh, four espressos, two to three monster energy drinks, just to kind of put things into perspective for you here. So as you can imagine, that is a lot of caffeine. Now, Caffeine has a half-life of eight hours, which means if we drink one of those venti Americanos at 2 p.m., well, that caffeine is still gonna be in our system at 10 p.m. at night. So it's not uncommon for us to be going to bed at night to still have that caffeine running through our system, which regardless of whether or not we're able to fall asleep, the quality of that sleep is gonna be severely disrupted. And you and I both know that quality sleep is extremely important from a hormonal standpoint if we're working to optimize our body's fat burning mechanism, right? So again, if we're doing less dumb stuff, well, we probably should consider drinking less caffeine on a daily basis for this very reason. Because for so many people, they're drinking too much caffeine too late in the day. It's thereby disrupting sleep. If you're not getting normal sleep patterns or quality sleep patterns, then you are going to be in a position where you're playing catch up all of the time. You're gonna be overproducing insulin and cortisol. You're gonna have hunger. You're gonna have cravings. You're gonna end up overeating calories. You're gonna have poor blood sugar. Uh, you're gonna have blood sugar dysregulation. Um, we know that people who sleep less end up eating more calories on a daily basis and have a harder time managing blood sugar. You can't think as clearly and on and on and on. And so the second strategy here really comes down to effectively managing your caffeine intake. I would strongly encourage you keep the caffeine to before noon on a daily basis and really limit the amount that you're consuming. And here's the thing, guys, is if you feel like you're waking up and you absolutely need caffeine to get going, that in and of itself is problematic because you're simply using it as a Band-Aid to make up for whatever is contributing to a lack of natural energy. Now, I know so much of this ends up being habitual, just the habit of getting up 
and drinking coffee, which is okay, as long as you're being reasonable about how much and why you're drinking it. So I challenge all of you that are listening to actually take a look at your caffeine intake, how you're using it, if you're using it wisely, and perhaps if you need to take a period of time and back off. One of the things my wife, Christine, and I have been doing more and more frequently is we, we got this Nespresso, the, the Virtuo, which I strongly recommend, by the way, it is a fantastic piece of equipment, but so it, it basically makes kind of espressos or Americanos. And so we'll have a regular one. And then the rest of the day, because I love coffee, I'll just drink a decaf. Sometimes I'll drink a half calf, um, but I'm really trying to be cognizant of the caffeine intake for these very reasons. Now, if I could make one other suggestion is before you decide to drink coffee in the morning, make sure you're drinking a huge glass of water. And for so many of us that are feeling run down on a daily basis, I'd encourage you not to drink coffee until you're eating real food with it. Because remember, caffeine is a stimulant. And anytime we're stimulated, our body's going to produce a stress response. And for many of us, that means that when our body's producing that stress response, specifically cortisol, the stress hormone, we're also going to be producing more blood sugar uh, because cortisol is what we call a glucocorticosteroid. Now, that's problematic for a lot of people because they already have blood sugar dysregulation, like I talked about with strategy number one. And so, by virtue of drinking your coffee with some sort of balanced meal, like I talked about, that perfect plate, then we're going to be in a much better position to not overproduce cortisol, to not contribute to the blood sugar dysregulation. So please keep that in mind. If you're someone who feels like you're overly fatigued, if you have thyroid issues, if you have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune uh, aspect of thyroid issues, I would strongly encourage you do not drink coffee until you're eating real food, if at all, to help help you better manage your adrenal function um, and thyroid function. Okay, so that was strategy number two is really looking into uh, your caffeine intake. And then strategy number three, the last strategy that I'm gonna share with you guys is how do we go about eating more nutrient dense food on a daily basis? Because one of the things that we are realizing in our uh, modern westernized world is we are extremely mineral deficient. We know about the macronutrients, the protein, carbs, the fats, um, but something we don't talk about very frequently is micronutrients. These are vitamins and minerals. And the vast majority of the US population doesn't even come close to hitting the, the RDA, the recommended daily allowance of a vast number of, of vitamins and minerals uh, because the quality of our food is so poor. Now, yes, our food is fortified. If we're eating processed food of bread and cereal and yogurts and, and dairy products, like all of these foods are fortified. So that helps, to be honest, that does help, but it's not taking the place of, of all of those minerals that we need, which one is why supplementation can really be important to some degree. And you know, I'm not one to overly push supplementation, even as someone who owns a supplement company and has a product on the market. And one of the minerals that our bodies are extremely deficient in for a vast majority of Americans is magnesium. And magnesium is a extremely important mineral that we get from our foods. We get it from things like grains and leafy green vegetables. Um, there's good magnesium in chocolate. And of course we can supplement with magnesium, but magnesium is a mineral that we use in hundreds and hundreds of, of our biochemical reactions in the body. And by the way, magnesium is synergistic 
to a number of other minerals. As an example, so many of us are vitamin D deficient, right? We know we get vitamin D from the sun, which is actually is a hormone that the body produces. And yes, we can supplement with vitamin D, but strongly encourage that we don't rely on supplementation but rather getting our vitamin D from the sun. But the problem is if we're deficient in magnesium, it's going to negatively impact our body's ability to absorb vitamin D levels. And same goes for, for zinc um, and all of these things, like I said, are synergistic. And so magnesium, we, we depend on it for energy production. We depended on it for nervous system function and, and specifically our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest uh, our body's ability to calm down. Now I've mentioned that stress hormone cortisol multiple times. Well, magnesium is one of the minerals that helps us counteract that stress response and activate the other end of the autonomic nervous system, which is our parasympathetic nervous system. So we need to make sure we're getting enough nutrition to just be able to facilitate our rest and digest process. Because if we're always stimulated, well, one, we're going to be at poor blood sugar management. We're not going to be burning fat, body fat effectively, but also we're not going to be digesting foods effectively. And so digestion is a major issue, which partially has to do with poor nutrition, poor food quality, but also because we can't get our body to calm down and absorb the nutrients that we're actually consuming. Helps with falling asleep at night, helps healthy digestion and reduced constipation, helping relieve uh, muscle aches and spasms, um, regulating other minerals in the body like sodium and potassium, heart health, brain health, muscle and bone health and on and on and on. And so we need to make sure that we're consuming enough mineral dense food and or supplementation to ensure that we're getting enough of these minerals that we're all very, very deficient in if we're trying to build a better fat burning machine, right? We don't need to drink some fat loss tea or do more detoxifying um, shakes or green drinks or bullshit like that. It's like, look, we just need to get more nutrition and then teach our body how to start to utilize that digestion by chilling out. And so things that have a, a decent amount of magnesium, brown rice, banana, almonds, um, that's for magnesium. If we talk about potassium, fresh orange juice, spinach, lima beans is a great example, or, or other legumes have a decent amount of potassium, right? And so uh, it comes back to eating as much whole, real, as we call it, single ingredient food as possible to make sure we're getting as much of those minerals as possible to help our body become a better fat burning machine by virtue of maintaining homeostasis, by virtue of supporting healthy hormone and blood sugar production. And so let's shift our focus away from all of the biohacks and all of the quote unquote optimization and let's really start to focus on the things that we can and should be doing that are going to cause less stress and perhaps require less effort that are going to move the needle uh, more in the right direction. Okay, so I hope that has been helpful for you guys as we talk about three fat loss strategies. And if you would like more information about these fat loss strategies. I have put together a guide called the fat loss fix guide. You can find that in the show notes or comment below fat loss fix guide. And I will make sure to send it to you where I outline uh, in a little bit more depth, these three fat loss strategies that we can employ today that are going to help you move the needle uh, in your fat loss goals, as well as improve your health and lifestyle. I appreciate you guys tuning in much love. 
and I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 